1 Corinthians chapter 12. Verse 12. For even as the body is one, and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one Spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot says, because I am not a hand, I'm not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, because I am not an eye, I'm not part of the body, it is not for this reason any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. If they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members, but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor. And our less presentable members become more presentable, whereas our more presentable members have no need. But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked, so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice in it. Now you are Christ's body, and individually members of it. Lord Jesus, this is one of the most amazing pictures I think you've given us in the Scripture. Even as as Paul said, that as all the members of the body, though they are many, are one, so also is Christ. That we're not just compared as a body, any body, some body, but Father, we are compared as, we are referred to here as the body of Christ. I don't think there's a person in here who feels up to that, Lord, or who feels worthy to be so called. And yet we are. So would you open our hearts to receive your intention, Holy Spirit. We all seek this morning to drink of one Spirit as we understand the one body. In Jesus' name, Amen. How many of you can say that you have called the Pentagon to order popcorn? I know you're thinking... This is going to be a profound one. (laughs) How many have called the Pentagon to order popcorn? I can say, indeed, that I have. It was a Friday afternoon, late 1991. My family had recently moved to Northern Virginia where I took up the post as a youth pastor at a church in Fairfax. And on that afternoon, I was going down my list, my contact list of youth workers, double-checking provisions for that night's youth event. And Bill McKelvey, Bill and Nancy, who Cheryl and I had stayed with when we first moved to Fairfax just prior to this, I called him up. He was one of the elders of the church. He was also one of my youth workers in our youth ministry. And so I knew he had some military involvement. I wasn't really sure what. So I picked up, started dialing his work number without really thinking about it, and next thing I knew, I'm being routed through several layers of government security. Before finally, I reached the desk of Colonel McKelvey. Colonel McKelvey. Oh, Colonel McKelvey. And suddenly the words popcorn and Colonel didn't seem to go well together. I mean, if his name was Colonel Redenbacher, that might be different. (laughs) Needless to say, I got off the phone in a jiffy. (laughs) That's enough of that. (laughs) The Christian approach to spiritual gifts can sometimes be like calling the Pentagon for popcorn. Sometimes we can trivialize the power of God. 
as though we were calling the Pentagon to get popcorn for a youth event. And some trivialize the power of God, listen, by chasing after spiritual things as though they were cinema snacks. Replacing a relationship with God by His Spirit for some kind of buttery spiritual self-indulgence. Others deny the power of God, refusing to make use of the operations of His Spirit at all. And in my opinion, from hyper-spiritualism to cessationism, both miss the point. Both misunderstand what the Scriptures are teaching, what Paul is saying, and what the Spirit of God is trying to say to us in this passage. What is the point of 1 Corinthians 12? It is the Spirit of God Himself. And we began to scratch this surface on Wednesday night. That 1 Corinthians 12, so often the go-to passage on spiritual gifts for the church, is not about the spiritual gifts. It is about the Spirit who gives the gifts. It's about the giver. Jesus said in John 14, 23, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him. And we will come to him and make our abode with him. Father and Son, how is that even possible? By the Spirit of God. Not limited by flesh, able to enter in and take up residence in the heart, in the spirit of the believer. Father and Son come to make their abode in the Spirit. Now, the spiritual gifts are certainly given. And the things written about in this passage are certainly important because the Holy Spirit comes so that we can do what we would not naturally do. So that we can have supernatural power and wisdom and insight and revelation and understanding and abilities that we wouldn't have otherwise to do what He desires for us to do because if left to our own devices, we are not typically spiritual. We're natural. And Paul went over that at the beginning of this letter and yet still some look to 1 Corinthians 12 and they look at it as a kind of a a Pentecostal pentagon in the Bible here's where we go but again Paul inspired by the spirit does not give the focus on the spiritual gifts but on the spirit himself on top of that I don't even think as I shared on Wednesday night that 1 Corinthians chapter 12 primarily deals with what many refer to as the spiritual gifts But to explain that, I need to take you back to Wednesday. Listen to this, verse 4. Now there are varieties of gifts, that is charismas, but the same spirit, a charisma, is a free gift, a, a, a gift by grace. Charis is grace. And there are varieties of ministries, diaconia, where we get the word deacon, which just means servant. Varieties of ministries and the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, That word is energma, where we get energy. But the same God who works all things in all persons. Gifts. There are varieties of gifts, Paul says. And if you want to study and understand what are the spiritual gifts, go to Romans 12. And we did that Wednesday night. There are also varieties of ministries, he says in verse 5. If you want to see several ministries specifically listed, and there are five of them listed out in Ephesians 4, that's a great place to go and study and understand those ministries. Now Paul will mention some gifts here. He will mention some ministries, especially toward the end of the chapter. And he talks about effects. And I believe, my opinion, just Rick's opinion, it doesn't matter if you agree or disagree on this one, because it's just, it's just kind of a, a study opinion, but it's the effects of God that are primarily being listed in 1 Corinthians 12. We think of the spiritual gifts, and we think of giftedness, and then we think of gifted education, and we start to think the gifted ones are the better ones. And so we go down the list here between verses 8, 9, and 10, and we start to say, well, you have this, you have that, you have the other, and we start to look at the gifts to see who is the most gifted, and they're not gifts. They're effects. They're effects. Effect again, it's the word energma and it means the workings. 
or the effectual energy or better yet, the operations of God. The operations of God. So, honestly, a Pentecostal Pentagon is not a bad way to view 1 Corinthians 12. Because the church can be described as the only authentic base of operations on earth. But the operations are God's through His people, in His people. They're His operations, His power, His effectual workings. The church of Jesus Christ is kind of a department of defense. Truly, for all those who believe, don't you feel strengthened? Don't you feel defended when you can gather together with other believers? At the same time, it's also the command center for the offensive. That is taking the gospel to the poor, the captive, the blind, and the oppressed in this world. So I kind of like that, a Pentecostal Pentagon. Well, I don't like the word Pentecostal. Well, it all started on Pentecost, so again, deal with it. (laughs) The idea of this base of operations, stay there for a minute. It's not that there aren't other organizations in the world other than the church that can do these things. That, that can do philanthropic things, that can offer service, that can bring care. But the motivation is completely different. You see, the church doesn't do acts of philanthropy and service for temporal reasons, but for eternal. Behind every act of service of a follower of Jesus Christ is Jesus Christ. Behind everything we do for other people ought to be a sense of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If to a non-believer that they will see the love of Christ Jesus and come to faith in Him and receive the gospel and be saved. If to a believer it's me being Christ to another believer who might then be Christ to somebody else. But our motivation, that's the big difference. Plenty of organizations can do exactly the same stuff that the church can do except reach into eternity. And that's our motivation, our focus. But here's the thing. This is the big deal of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. When God is present, His operations are in effect. Where God is present, His operations are in effect. His workings should be, must be seen if God's present. Doesn't that make sense? I always know when Cheryl's in the house... Because things are being affected, things are working, things are changing. I also always know when she's out of town. Because things start breaking down. Chaos, anarchy reigns, the children outnumber me, and it's over, buddy, it's over. Paul calls the operations in the church, verse 7, manifestations of the Spirit. When these operations are in effect, we can say, oh, I see the Spirit manifest. I recognize God is here. I I know God is among these people. How do you know that? Because He is in operation. Because His effectual workings are taking place in and among us. What do those workings look like? Here's a sampling. And I do not believe this is a complete list. Verse 8. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit... And to another, the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. And to another, gifts of healing. Now, those are gifts. Because he uses the word charismas there. By one Spirit. Uh, To another, the effecting of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the distinguishing of spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. And to another, the interpretation of tongues. So just considering those few things, when the Spirit of God is present in the body of Christ, these spiritual energmas are supposed to be operational. We're not playing with popcorn here. It's not a game. And by the way, it's not something to be overused or to be done without. Something brought by the workings, the effective workings of God, the energy of God, the operation of God in the body of Christ. Look at verse 7 again. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit. That that word manifestation, you know that. That's, That's visualization. It's revelation. It's something that becomes seen. Something made manifest is now seen, known, understand, experienced, understood. 
And so to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And we talked about Wednesday night, that word common good. It's a beautiful metaphor, a beautiful picture. It means symphony. It's the word symphoron in the Greek, common good. We are a symphony of God. And what does a symphony look like? Various instrumentation, but all playing together, once tuned up, playing together under the direction of the maestro, the director, in our case, the Spirit of God, or Christ Jesus Himself, a beautiful symphony takes place. The common good where the manifestations of the Spirit are given. Now, this Wednesday night, we are going to go through verses 8, 9, and 10, and we're going to pick up some at the end of the chapter as well, but we're going to look at each one of the effects listed here. One at a time, we're going to seek to understand their meaning and their significance for the body of Christ today. But this morning, I think we need to stay on track with something else I believe that God is speaking to our fellowship. When I was on vacation in July, I began asking the Lord and praying about what, if, if anything specific for this season, are you saying to the bridge? Are you saying to me? Are you trying to help me see? Help me understand? As well as all the rest of us together, do you have a word for us now? And I believe He's wanting us, desiring us to prayerfully process the symphoron, the symphony, the body. You see, Paul goes to that greater analogy. Not only a base of operations, which is a cool picture for the church. Kind of a a pentagon of sorts where we're designing missions. And not only a symphony where we're gathering and we're rehearsing and we're reading off lines of music together in unity. No, we are a body. A body. What does a body do? Well, speaking biologically, uh, physiologically, even neurologically, what does a body do? Whatever the head tells it to do. Right? If my body is hungry, my head says, eat. If my body is worn down, my head says, sleep. If my body is frightened, my head says, run. If I'm heartbroken, my head says, Seek embrace. Have you ever noticed that? You're all alone and you're heartbroken over something and we have this tendency to kind of go like this. Because there's no one else there to embrace us so we start our, our body starts to embrace itself because the head says, you need a hug. <laughs> you need embrace. The head determines what the body does. It's my body in operation. And Paul goes on now to teach that the same is true of the body of Christ. Skip ahead to verse 27 and listen again. Now you are Christ's body. And individually members of it. That's the grand point that he's making now at this part of the chapter. So understand, listen, the effects of the Spirit of God... All of these things we see in verses 8, 9, and 10, the effects of the Spirit of God are simply the body doing what the head directs it to do. And so for those who have been freaked out, frightened by, unnerved by things like spiritual gifts and Pentecostalism and and charismania and all the rest, all we're seeking to be is the body of Christ that does what the head directs. And what the head directs, we see in these operations of the Spirit. The Spirit at work. The Spirit telling the body what to do. You could say this is where it all comes to a head. Okay, I'm not kidding. Why does a symphony get out of tune? Why do command centers experience mutiny and or rebellion? Why do churches become contentious and begin to divide. My friends, if we are to rightly operate in the gifts of the Spirit, the ministries of the Lord, and the effects of the same God who works all things in all, we must come to the head to Jesus Christ. He is the head of the body. 
And I want you to start right there before we even get into what the body looks like, what it means itself. Consider the head of the body. This is an absolutely stunning description for the church. Why? Keep your finger here and turn over to the right until you get to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 5. Therefore, when He comes into the world, speaking of Messiah, He says, Sacrifice and offering you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for Me. In whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come in the scroll of the book it is written of Me to do Your will, O God. After saying above, sacrifices and offerings and whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you have not desired, nor have you taken pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, he again being Messiah, Jesus, behold, I have come to do your will. He takes away the first in order to establish the second. By this will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Very specifically, very literally, the physical body of Jesus. Jesus says, I come into the world and you gave me a body. You gave me a body, he says. Sacrifice and offering you have not desired. You didn't give me a cow. You didn't bring me to the world and hand me a lamb. You gave me a body rather than an object of sacrifice because Christ's body would be the object of sacrifice. You gave me a physical body to be offered up, to be sacrificed. That's why He came in the flesh. John 1.14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw His glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. God put on flesh so that flesh, His flesh, would be sacrificed. What does that say about His body, the church? I believe in the same way we are a sacrificial body. We are like the body of Christ in the flesh to be a body in the Spirit that is willing to be sacrificed for the common good. Willing to be sacrificed even for the sake of the lost of this world to find faith in Jesus Christ. We are His body now. But His body as He came into the world was a sacrificial body. A body to be offered up. God put on flesh so that the flesh could be sacrificed. The flesh was sacrificed so that we might be saved. But check this out. God put on flesh so that flesh could house God. So that now you and me, we, in our bodies, can house the Spirit. Whereas the Spirit was housed by a physical body in the body of Christ, the literal flesh body of Christ. So now my literal body houses the Spirit of God. That's remarkable to me. And and there's far more I think we can ponder on that and, and consider. But that's what Jesus, I believe, meant when He said, we will come to Him and we will make our abode with Him. We have become now the spiritual body of Christ. Go back to 1 Corinthians 12. And as the spiritual body of Christ, we must do whatever the head tells us. The head of Christ cried out in the garden, Father, if it's possible, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. So the head of Christ literally abdicated his will and authority to receive the headship of God. And then the head of Christ told the body of Christ to go to the cross. I love reading John's account of the crucifixion because he makes it absolutely clear that every step of the way, Jesus was absolutely in control. That what happened happened because Jesus decided it would happen this way. He went with the soldiers because he chose to go to the soldiers. He was led off to the house of Annas and then to Caiaphas before the Sanhedrin. Over to Pilate, then to Herod, back to Pilate. Because Jesus chose to be led. Because the head was in control of the body. And so now, the head, the headship of Jesus Christ is now in control of the body. We cannot, we will not function apart from the head. It's like, I know I've told you this before, but my grandfather's story 
about raising chickens. And you know the old phrase, we're like a bunch of chickens with their heads cut off. Sometimes you feel like that in your life. I just feel like chicken with my head cut off. As a kid, I wondered, what in the world does that mean? That's just weird. And then my grandpa told me, well, he would go out into the chicken yard at chicken-eating time when they had served their useful purpose and now we're going to end up on the plate and he would just go out into the yard. He'd dig a pit. He, he told me the story of grabbing the chickens, picking them up by their heads, giving them a spin, popping the head off and throwing the body out into the yard to run around and then threw the head down into the pit. And the body literally would just keep on running aimlessly, blood spurting out of the neck, just until finally we... And meanwhile, he'd grab another chicken, spin it around, pop the head off, throw it into the pit, chuck the body out there, it'd run around and do the same process. He's going through all his chickens, and he said one time, he grabbed the chicken, spun it around, popped off the neck, threw it out with the bodies, and tossed the body into the pit. Now there's this headless chicken body jumping up and down in the pit. Does the church ever look like that? I mean, that's just a picture of... So often when we get into ourselves and we are making our lists and we are coming up with our ideas and we are spinning out our scenarios and we're doing this and that and the other because why? Because we have to. we got to do something. Might as well run around with blood spurting out of our necks. Crazy chickens with our heads cut off. Stop for a minute. Stop running around the yard and listen. You have a head. And his name is Jesus. And he is speaking to this body, to this fellowship. The operational effects of the Spirit of God are simply the body of Christ in operation as led by the head who is Jesus. So what does that look like? Well, Paul gives kind of an example, a picture. Walk this through with me. Verse 12. For even as the body is one, and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. And I love that. He doesn't say, so also is Christ's body. Paul makes it so intimate. He says, literally here, he says the church is Christ. Now we're not, and we know that. Jesus is the only Jesus. But in making us, that, in drawing this picture of the body of Christ, he's, he's, he's getting across this point. It is so, so connected. We are so connected to Jesus that he doesn't even say Christ's body. He just says, so is Christ. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. This is how connected Paul says we are to be. Not out on our own, not trying to figure it out, not doing it ourselves, but listening, paying attention to Christ, the head. And he says in verse 13, For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of the one Spirit. Listen, we are a body in unity. This is the first thing to jot down. I'll give you five things. We are a body in unity. Just as Jesus stretched His legs to cross the water, And just as he extended his hand to touch the leper, as he saw the needs, as he heard the pleas, as he forgave the weak and broken sinner, all these things, these actual tangible things that Jesus did in the body, we are to do. We are learning to respond in unity as the body of Christ. When Jesus, think about this, told his legs to walk across the sea, His legs, his eyes, his eyes didn't look at the water and go, "Uh uh-uh, what are you, crazy? His legs didn't stop at the edge of the Galilee and refuse to continue because they accepted the headship of Jesus, the authority of Jesus. He intended to walk across the sea, so off he went. There was no mutiny. He didn't have a leg holding on to the shore, you know, refusing to go. It was the perfect unity of his body functioning as the head told the body to function. One body in unity, functioning together. And that unity is so beautifully proclaimed in verse 13 that we're all baptized into one body and all made to drink of one spirit. He uses a beautiful unifying example of baptism. 
And by the way, something I think we've gotten wrong in in the church over 2,000 years is the idea of being baptized into distinct fellowships. We will use the phrase, the body, to refer to this fellowship, but this fellowship is not the body. We are a limb, or perhaps a finger, or a really cute little toe. But we are not the body. We are of the body. The body is far greater than this church, than this fellowship. And you all know that. We're we're just a fellowship of Christians who are part of the larger body of Christ. We are not baptized into distinct churches or fellowships separated out from one another as the denominations have so often done. I've actually had people come to me and say, do I need to be baptized into this fellowship? I'm like, were you baptized into Jesus? Well, yeah. Well, then you're already in the body of Christ. Join us. Come, Come and be part of the fellowship and function here for the greater body. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 4, Paul says there's one body, not many. There's one Spirit, just as you are all also called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. So referring to baptism, there's only one baptism into the body of Christ. And by the way, that's what he's talking about. He's not saying there isn't a baptism of the Holy Spirit. Some have pointed to this into Ephesians 4 and they say, Oh, well you see there's one baptism. Therefore there cannot be water baptism by immersion and the baptism of the Holy Spirit because there's only one baptism. Yeah, but he also says in Ephesians 4 there's one Lord. Right? Well, is that Lord Father, Son, or Holy Spirit? My point is simply this. Paul is not here talking about the baptism of the the Spirit or or that there's one baptism and, and negating the baptism of the Spirit. He's not even making that point. We'll talk about that. We'll come to that, you know, in Ephesians. We'll talk about that. But the point that he is making here specifically is the unification of the body. That we are a body in unity. We get hung up on our traditions Oh, baptism, wait a minute, yeah. And there's one baptism, therefore the, the whole spiritual baptism that people talk about, that's that. No, just set that aside for a minute. That's not what he's talking about yet. He's talking about how we are baptized by one spirit into one body. He's talking about the unity of the body, the body in unity. Which, by the way, is not uniformity. It's unity. It's not uniformity any more than a symphony is uniform. You don't have a symphony of trumpets, as I shared on Wednesday, and I love the example. Rachel gave it to me. She went to a concert of ten tubas. And she said it was brutal. Probably the toughest concert she had ever heard, because ten tubas, I don't care if they're playing tuba music. At some point, it's a little over the top. It's a lot of tubas with no one else, you know. It's not uniformity. It's unity... And yet, the body is also, number two, in diversity. The body in unity, the body in diversity. Romans chapter 12, verse 4. Paul writes, Just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually members, he says here, of one another. Not only of Christ, but of one another. We belong to each other. The body in unity, the body, number two, in diversity. Verse 14, for the body is not one member, but many. See, stop right there. This is my problem with church membership. You have a problem with church membership? Well, I mean, not technically. It's not like I go up to someone who's a member of another church and go, Oh, you're a member that's pathetic. No, that's not my issue. I just don't see the need. Because we have membership in one body. You give your life to Jesus, you have become a member of the body of Christ. Which is why here, at least, we don't have a formal membership. You've already become a member of the body. And when we say we have a membership of this church or that church, then that is, it makes me more exclusive to other churches. Oh yeah, I I believe that other Christians are safe too, but I'm a member here. And I'm going to show that when I get to heaven. I am I'm a member of the first church of the holy whatever. You see my card, Lord? And he's going to look at that card and say, I have one body. Are you a part of that? Are you a part of the body of Christ? We're not. 
one member, but many who belong to the body of Christ. Verse 15, if the foot says, because I'm not a hand, I'm not part of the body, it is for this reason, is it not for this reason any less a part of the body? Verse 16, if the ear says, because I'm not an eye, I am not part of the body, it is not for this reason any less a part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, now picture that. Six foot one inch eyeball rolling down the street. I mean, talk about getting dirt in your eye. Do I have something in my eye? You have everything in your eye because you're just an eye. It's a very comical picture that Paul is painting here. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body. And I have this underlined just as He desired. Which reminds me sometimes that uh, I didn't put together the body of Christ. I didn't design this fellowship. You going to make it there okay, Gary? I don't want to call attention to you so that everybody looks at you trying to get out of here on your crutches. I, I don't want to do that, my friend. I'm sorry. That's one body, sir. Exactly. <laughs> I love you, Gary. <laughs> and right now he's going, I don't love you, Rick. I can think of a whole lot of other emotions I feel about you right now. <laughs> I have no idea where we were. The body in the eyeball. The body in diversity. I didn't put this body together. One of the most marvelous things about being involved in ministry is you don't get to choose who shows up. And I love that. Because honestly, if I chose, if I formulated and put together my fellowship, my church, the way I wanted it to look, it would not be as diverse and gloriously unique as this one. In fact, there'd probably be a lot of people that look something like me and we would have a big problem. The body in diversity. Every member, listen, every member, which means every single one of you in this place this morning who has been born again, Every member of the body was placed there by God. He chose for you to be a part. He set you in the body of Christ. Think about it this way. Psalm 139.13 David writes, You formed my inward parts. You wove me together in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. And if the spiritual body of Christ is so designed, if the physical body is is designed in that way, how much more the spiritual body? The body of Jesus. If my physical body is fearfully and wonderfully made, then so is the church. Because God designed it. And at times in my life over the past, you know, 50 or so years, when I've seen problems in the church or issues with the church or people complaining about the church, I often go back to this place, yeah, but the church was God's idea. Those who would deny church involvement, church fellowship. No, I believe in Jesus. I love Jesus. I just don't like the church. Well, then you don't like what God has designed because this was His idea, not mine. And the church, for all its, its saintly and scruffy diversity, is fearfully and wonderfully made, just as God has willed it. So if you have a problem with the body, you've got a problem with His divine design. We are each formed, we are each gifted, we are each placed in the body, just as God has willed it. Now, I am not even saying by that that every branch of the church is right or even rightly representative of Jesus. There are some churches that are way off. There are churches who have fallen into heresy, and I'm talking about individual fellowships or denominations that have heretical views of things. And I'm not going to give you a list. I mean, I just pray that everybody knows Jesus. Talking with some friends just this last week about the fact that there are people in every church, every denomination, every representation who are going to be saved. Because they call on the name of Jesus Christ, period. Not because they happen to attend the right fellowship. Oh, we found the right one, and it's on North Whidbey Island. It's the only one we've ever been to that's just right. By the way, if you believe that about this church, you are in for a big surprise. 
Acts 2.47, the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. And so with every limb of the body of Christ, every part of the whole, we are designed to be a unified body and a body in diversity. Verse 19, if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now we are. there are many members but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Can you imagine a little mouth opening up on your eye and talking to your hand? Again, Paul is giving a a humorous picture if we really started to think about it or try and draw it out. He's being intentionally comical because it's ridiculous to think that your eye would say to your hand, Hey, we don't need you today. Take the day off. Or you're unnecessary. No, we have what we call hand-eye coordination, which even allows me to do what I'm doing right now, back and forth, without poking my eyeball out. Because honestly, if my eye told my hand, you are unnecessary, my hand could very quickly form a fist and we'd have a problem with the eye. The eye does not look like the hand. The hand does not look like the eye, but the eye and the hand are both necessary. And don't expect your hands to look like eyes. I mean, that would be freakish. Right? You're walking around. Hey, look at this. Yeah, that's cool. (laughs) The point is this. The body and diversity, we are not trying to look alike. We are not trying to clone other Christians. Please don't go out and get a nice sweater vest. Because that's what Pastor Rick wore. Sweater vest with jeans. Is that what Christians wear? Is that what they look like? And most of you are going, no. I think of the church in times past where everybody, where there was a certain uniformity to it. I love that in the 70s and the 80s especially, it started to just get really messy. You know, I think about the Calvary movement and the hippies coming in and the long hair and the sandals and people are going, Sandals? How how can you show up in church on Sunday morning wearing sandals? And I think, well, I think Jesus did. (laughs) The body is diverse. Not a bunch of clones. There There is one image to whom we are being conformed, is there not? Romans 8.29, For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son. So we are all seeking to look like, to be like, to act like Jesus, but not necessarily like each other. We're diverse, and we should be. Praise the Lord for that. To be His body is to look like Him. And He is being formed in us, in you, in unity and in diversity. And number three, Important, the body by necessity, verse 22. The body by necessity. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor. And he's talking about our physical bodies. And our less presentable members become much more presentable. Whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. Now reading into that, he's he's probably making an allusion to less presentable members like my heart. My heart which pumps the blood in my body and keeps my body functioning and keeps it alive is not in the same way formed as my hand. It is not strong in that it could be crashed about and smashed into things and, and, you know catching my finger in a a car door or hitting my hand on a wall as I'm going around a corner and bruising and beating it up. If that was my heart hanging out here, we'd have a problem. No, my heart is is hidden within and protected by the rib cage and then the the flesh and musculature, lots of muscle over it, you know, protecting the heart. (laughs) And Paul says that's that's the way it is in the physical body. Those things that are less presentable, we we protect, they're kind of hidden away. We don't even really think about it. How often during the day do you think about your heart? Oh, there went a beat. Oh, there went one. Oh, there's another one. You don't think about it. It's in there. It's functioning. It's working. It's fearfully and wonderfully made. Paul's getting at something that I think is so important for us to recognize. And it is that no matter how significant or insignificant, how presentable or how unpresentable, scruffy you may feel, You are 
necessary. And I pause on that point because I have been aware over the years of far too many brothers and sisters in Christ who felt unnecessary in their church, in their body, in the fellowship. You are necessary. To say you're not necessary is to say, well, God made a mistake when He gave me five fingers instead of just three. Three would have been fine. I could have, you know. No, you're necessary. I love that, that medical professionals have struggled for years to figure out certain body parts. We talked about the little toe uh, several weeks ago. And how, as it turns out, it's a very important part of our balance and our walking. And yet, the evolutionists would say, nah, it's just kind of hanging on there from previous times when we used to climb trees with our feet. Well, I never climbed a tree with my feet. I think some evolutionists perhaps have. <laughs> You are necessary to the body. And please stop for a moment and realize Pastor Rick is not just offering up a nice sentiment. Oh, that's nice. You know, for those who are feeling a little weak or a little less presentable, less, a little less necessary, that's nice that he mentioned them too. But we know what really makes the church function is the top ten. It's the 10% of the really involved, or maybe the 20%. They're the ones who really make this church what it is, and all the rest of them, all the rest who just fill the pews. Jake said something to me the other day. We are sitting in his office talking, and Rachel was there, and, and he and we're all kind of having a conversation. And, and Jake said, you know, Rick, I've, he says, I've only seen you get mad once. And I'm like, well, you haven't been in my home much, have you? <laughs> but this is what he said. I've only seen you get angry one time. And I said, when was that? And he said, it was when someone was talking down the church. And I thought, yeah, it, that makes me mad. It makes me mad when I hear comments like, well, if those people would just volunteer more. Now, you have heard me ask for volunteerism. You've heard me invite you to ministry. But I also don't deny the fact that you might not do anything right here in what we term the Bridge Christian Fellowship, and yet God is working in your life in amazing ways in your workplace, in your home, among your friends. Ways that no one here ever even sees. And you come, and you sit, and you take in the Word, and you worship the Lord, and your heart is right with Him, and then you're off doing your thing. But here it's not presentable. Here it doesn't seem to be that big a deal. There are other Christians among us who don't think they're that big a deal anywhere. Well, I'm just a housewife or a house husband. Let's not forget them. I, I just do that. I don't, I'm, not, I'm not necessary. Listen, Mother Teresa, just read this this morning. Mother Teresa is now Saint Teresa. It's taken now 19 years from her death. I think 2003 she was beatified. Or is that the right word? Beatified, I think it is. It's, it's a process. Catholic Church has a process for someone becoming a saint. And this weekend, as the highlight of his holy year of mercy, Pope Francis declared the tiny nun, as she is sometimes known, to be a saint for all of her work with the poor and the marginalized in Kolkata, India. Here's the thing. Jesus made a saint of you by His mercy, not yours, when you were born again. And you don't have to wait 19 or 50 or 100 years after your death to be a saint, to receive sainthood. And yet, we have in the body of Christ far too often poor, marginalized saints. According to the Spirit of God, there is no such thing. Every person in the body is necessary. Every person has their function. Every person has their role. There is not to be any who are poor, weak, marginalized, unnecessary, unimportant. Is it you? Are you among those who struggle to find how you could possibly be of necessity in the body of Christ? I go to church because I love Jesus and I'll be there because I want to hear His word. But as far as what I have to offer, you know, I, I, don't, I don't have anything really to offer. I'm no leader. I'm no pastor. I'm no upfront personality. I have no gifts. I have no ministries. No effects to speak of. You know, when the people of Judah returned from Babylonian captivity, they returned under the leadership of Zerubbabel, 
whose name is mentioned multiple times in Scripture, Zerubbabel. And he was an important man, an important leader of Judah. And yet the prophet Zechariah brought the word of the Lord to him, Zechariah 4.6. This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. So even the leader of Judah only would function by the Spirit of God. So the least, as we might consider, only can function by the Spirit of God. And so often it's when I am at my weakest that God does His most profound work. It's when I am incapable of doing something and God does it through me. Now God is glorified. That's when the wonders are seen. And so if you are... Among those who say, I'm unnecessary, I'm ungifted, no one needs me, I might as well eat some worms. (laughs) If you're one of those who just feels like you don't really have a... You'll show up, but you really don't have anything to offer. You are necessary. Well, what am I supposed to do? I don't know. I barely know what I'm supposed to do. Ask Him. Seek the Lord. What am I here for, Lord? Because I guarantee you, you're here for a reason. I I need to say one other thing to those who who sometimes feel like I'm unnecessary or unneeded. And I say this tenderly. Self-pity can be a cop-out to becoming operational in the body. Self-pity can be a cop-out to volunteering, to involvement, Oh, what do I have to offer? I don't know. Why don't you show up and see? Usually it's only once we get into a ministry or or, or an operation of the Spirit that we start to realize that, hey, we really do have something here. And by the way, it really wasn't us in the first place, but His Spirit is now using me in a way I never would have imagined. But if we sit back and we say, oh, I'm unnecessary, we may miss what the Spirit wants to do. If we deny the power, the energma, the operations of the Spirit, what then? What then? Verse 24, he continues on, But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked. I love that. So that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. It is amazing how a hangnail can impact the entire body. Uh, You get a little hangnail and you're driving along and you're not even looking at the road. I mean, if they want to outlaw something in cars, don't outlaw cell phones. Outlaw hangnails. I wonder how many accidents have happened because someone's going, "Ah, ah, whoa. Listen. Unity, diversity, necessity, and this will sound strange. Number four, the body in anxiety. Anxiety. Wait a minute, isn't isn't peace one of the primary manifestations of the presence of God? Therefore, if God's there, there should be peace. What do you mean anxiety? Listen, Paul's not saying here that we should be stressed out, panic-stricken, or worry warts. But he does talk about a heightened sense of care when he says that we are to have the same care for one another. The word care is merimnao. In the Greek, merimnao literally means anxious concern. When a person is anxious in the Scriptures, merimnao is the word for anxious, for anxiety, for wringing your hands, for, for worry, for, for concern like of, of that kind. And so it's an apt description when Paul says we ought to have care for the body we ought to have that kind of concern one for another. Hey, how you doing? Are you all right? Gary made it out and made it back, and I am relieved, bro. <laughs> Do we have that? And it's not anxiety in terms of, oh no, oh no, it's going to fall apart. No, it's, it's, it's an anxious concern, like a parent for a child. How many parents have gone through your parenting years and never felt anxiety over what your children were doing? <laughs> Right? I mean, you laugh because like I started feeling anxious before any of them were born. How am I going to do this? I don't have a manual. Lord, help me with this. Anxious concern. What do you do when there's pain in your body? I, I From time to time, we all have had different pains, aches, problems, issues, you know? And I would get this, this pain in my abdomen. 
And, and recently, over this last year, is dealing with this abdomen pain, this abdominal pain. Don't come up and give me prescriptions for it, by the way. Thank you. I love y'all. I'm doing fine. You know, Rick, if you if you just drank some, I don't know, oil of some kind, I'm sure it'll help. Well, that's great. I'm not looking for help. But I have sometimes this this abdominal pain. It was, it was an issue. I went to my doctor. Why? Because I had pain in the body. So what did my body do? It went to the doctor. Well, my hand didn't have pain. Well, I don't want to go to the doctor. I'd rather just, you know, do something else that I want to do. Would that be okay with you, Rick? Go ahead and take the abdomen to the doctor, but I'm staying home. You know? I go to the doctor because there's pain and and have procedures, which are no fun. Not going to get into that. (laughs) Abdominal pain, I began to be concerned, wouldn't you? Especially as you start to get a little older, these aches and pains show up that shouldn't be there. I didn't do it. My lower back's killing me. Why? I don't know. I have no idea. And as my father-in-law has told me more than once, Rick, when you get to be my age, you'll appreciate the pain because it will remind you you're alive. You have no idea. I'm writing a book. I'm going to call them Billisms. <laughs> but when there's pain in the body, the whole body organizes to care for the pain. There is a, a certain level of anxiety. Sometimes it keeps you up at night. Have you ever been kept up at night with anxious concern for this fellowship? For another brother or sister? And it's not anxiety in that the Spirit of God's not present. Of course the Spirit is present and I have peace, but I have this, this oh, something, I've got to take care of her. I've got to look after him. I've got to be involved here. Because I have merimnao, anxious concern. It's like Moses speaking to the Lord. Numbers 11, 11. Why have you been so hard on your servant? And why have I not found favor in your sight? That you have laid the burden of all this people on me. You want to talk about sleepless nights? You want to talk about someone who had a huge amount of weight on him because of his anxious concern for Israel. Moses loved his people. Paul loved the church. Galatians 4.19, he says, My children with whom I am in labor until Christ is formed in you. And yes, he uses the word for labor that describes a woman in labor. Paul says, I'm just, I mean, those of you ladies who have given birth know what I'm talking about. I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm thankful for that. But I can imagine the labor pains. Paul says, yeah, I had that, that anxious concern, that, that weight, that daily concern for all the churches. And that's what Paul says the whole body ought to have one for another. That kind of concern. That kind of anxious care. And it's not just for leaders. It's not just for the Moseses and the Pauls. It is, it is for the body, one to another, to care for each other that much. And by the way, I see that in this fellowship. And I'm touched greatly by it. Number five, the last one, and it goes right to this. The empathy of the body or the body in empathy unity diversity necessity even anxiety and finally empathy verse 26 and if one member suffers all the members suffer with it if one member is honored all the members rejoice with it now you are Christ's body and individually members of it And that is more than anxiety or concern or care. This is felt personally. Empathy in the body. I love that he doesn't say there's sympathy in the body. He describes empathy. If one hurts, I hurt. If you are honored, I feel honored. That's how the body works. That I feel this. Even vicariously. I'm in. I am all in for the body of Christ. Ask yourself, do I share that kind of level of of suffering, of pain, of hurt, as well as honor and, and joy and satisfaction among my brothers and sisters? Do I feel what they're feeling? And I confess this to you. That, that one aspect of Christ being formed in me that I have most needed over the years, this is Rick talking, is empathy. Because I have had a tendency in my life to barrel straight forward and not worry about it. And not care. And not have 
compassion. Which my wife sometimes will point out and I always tell her, well, that's not very compassionate of you. (laughs) But to feel in the body as Jesus does, look back at verse 7 again. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. The manifestation of the Spirit. Again, my friends, it's not the gifts, it's not the ministries, it's not the effects. It's the manifestation of the Spirit of Jesus Himself. Jesus feels His body. If anyone has empathy for where you are, whether you are among what we might consider the leaders of the body, or maybe you're just one of the lesser parts or so you feel, Jesus feels you, man. He gets it. He doesn't just have a distant godly sympathy. Oh, poor little people down there. He feels it. The body in empathy. And when Jesus Christ is present, I say to you again, all the operations are needed for the common good of the body. All of what God has, gifts, ministries, effects, all are necessary for the body to be complete, for the body to function. However, the body doesn't worry about the operations. No, the body just listens to the head. The body just looks to Jesus, knowing and believing and trusting that He is giving to everyone in the body just as He wills. That He's placing the members where He needs them to be. He's giving them the gifts, the ministries, the effects that He needs them to have at the right time. And if you're among those who say, yeah, I, I, I want to know, A, what is my gift in the Spirit? And, and B, how do, I, how do I function in that? I'll tell you the number one thing to do. Don't look at the gift. You look at the giver. You look to the head. You pray to Jesus. You ask Him in the Spirit to show Him what He has designed for you and how you are to function. Don't worry about the function. Worry about the Father. Look to Jesus. Focus on His Spirit. And by the way, Colonel McKelvey showed up that night, still in uniform, with bags of buttery popcorn for the teens. (laughs) Why? That was the weirdest thing for me as a young youth pastor. This guy, this guy in full uniform, working in the upper echelons of the Pentagon. He was in the command center for Desert Storm. Showing up with bags of popcorn for my teenagers? At first I thought, boy, that's just, uh, you know, calling the Pentagon for popcorn, it's just weird. Until I saw him show up and continue to watch him interact in the body and love on these teenagers. And to me, I think the Lord looked at that and said, that is more significant than anything he ever did in the Pentagon. Loving those kids. Functioning in the body. And he loved the body. Rachel, why don't you come on up? Unity. Divert. Don't put your Bibles away. I see what you all do. Zip, 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 zip. Hands in pockets. We're done. Oh, okay. We're done. Wait. We haven't even done chapter 13 yet. Settle in. No, I'm kidding. Unity. Diversity. Necessity. Anxiety. Empathy. Paul gives us a beautiful picture of the body in operation... Because these describe the heart of Jesus for His body. Think about the last two. Anxiety or care, if you'd rather use that, that's fine. And empathy. Matthew 26, verse 37 tells us, He took with Him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be grieved and distressed. Mark 14.33 tells us he began to be very distressed and troubled. The word distressed, it's a horse word that speaks of a horse that is terrified, shuddering. If if you're a horse person, you know when a horse shudders, that's not a good sign. It it means they're, they're anxious, they're worried. And that's the word that was describing Jesus in distress in the Garden of the Olive Press. Trouble is the strongest Greek word used for depression. He was distressed and he was troubled in the garden. 
Luke 22.24 says, Being in agony, he was praying fervently, and his sweat became like drops of blood falling down upon the ground. Understand, Jesus was all alone. From all outward appearances, there is no reason why Jesus was under that kind of distress. No reason why he was experiencing hematidrosis. The capillaries next to the skin bursting and the blood literally pouring out of his out of his face. He was alone in the garden. Why so great a stress? Why so heavy a burden? His physical body convulsing and shuddering. And he's bleeding out. Even before a single blow was administered to him, he's already bleeding. No one has ever been as pressed as Jesus was in that garden that night. Why? I believe it was because Jesus felt His body. He felt His body, you and me. He felt 2,000 years of His body. And the weight was next to unbearable. And in his case, you know, Paul made this statement. Paul says, if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. In Jesus' case, as all the members have suffered, the one member suffered for them, with them. Come to the table. Father, we now offer this time to you as we offer it to each other. A time of ministry, a time of sharing, Lord. A time that we are so thankful for, just as Jesus instituted on the night He was betrayed. When He took the bread and said, Take, eat, this is my body. When He took the wine after dinner, saying in a like manner, Take, drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, the new covenant, which is poured out for the many. Lord Jesus, we realize your body was broken, your blood poured out for the many, and that is us as part of your body. Lord, we love you. We offer now our hearts, ourselves to you, and to your body in Jesus' name. Amen. Come to the table.